did the Igel. I did the Igel. I did the Igel. The Igel. The Frigel. The Triple Dog Tail with your grandpa's Mickey. I did the Iggy. I did the Iggy. You did the Iggy. Um, I did the Iggy. Dave did the Iggy. But it's by the Cool Hands, a local Toronto band. Hopefully I have... Playing April the 5th at the Silver Dollar. Wow. There's a a plug. Yeah. 12.15. uh, So yeah, check them out if you're interested. So, you want to jump right in, I guess, because... Because I... Like, I didn't know. They're... Com- there, one is just a. Th- I heard about three R's. Uh, I, I mentioned th- three other R's yesterday, mm. and also heard about the Jigad yesterday. But they were completely separate conversations. Okay. Uh, the three other R's are refuse, repair, re- repair, and repurpose. Mm. Uh, and I think there's a, and that, uh, there's a connection between these two ideas. And then the third thing we're talking about is hipsters, because everyone loves hipsters, and they are the height of all things. Well, not necessarily hipsters, but uh, hip fashion mm. and uh, home decor. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to jump off on that one then? What do you mean no, by first hit? explain Jagad? All right, fine. I'll explain Jagad. Uh, so Jagad is basically that's well, as I say, yeah, it's the concept of of making things work without uh, without buying something new. You now it's 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 very much sort of making do with what you have, making things work in it for you. Whether like or not they're meant to like like place. If you have like a toaster whose wire doesn't work, you rewire it or yeah. But or more, you... I think that more has to do with not just repairing it, but like making something do maybe it wasn't what 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 it wasn't meant to do exactly. Like like engineering it to do something else. Slowly. Hmm. Like if you could make your toaster also, I don't know, heat something else hmm. that you could use for you know sort of the idea of repurposing something, but all you know, not losing anything while purposing, but making it sort of fit your your needs, rather than going out to buy something new to fit your needs. You can just make something you already have work. Now, is it, I guess it wouldn't be just about making multiple uses for something, but potentially, say you have something that you don't really need, using that as something that you do need, and therefore not having to buy something new, or throw out the thing that you originally had. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's also, it, and it so it's, it's seems to have gained sort of popularity in also the, in business as well. And the idea of making, look, with businesses can do the same, trying to do the same mm. thing. You know, working with what they have, trying to be as frugal as possible, perhaps. It's something that, you know, people have been doing for a long time, just in, it's, it's a handy term for, for the specific idea. So that's, that's, that's the, the, the one topic. Do you have a, a jumping off point for this thought, or do you want to... Not really. Okay. Well, then let me, I'll, I guess I'll ask you a question then, because I guess that's how it's going to run. So we have all this sort of, we have sort of the way that fashion or that, that a lot of culture is going or the way that sort of hipster culture is sort of seen often is this sort of repurposing sort of things that were not cool in the past and make them cool again or being sort of intentionally what unfashionable. Or I'm thinking of sort of like hand-me-down aesthetics, secondhand aesthetics, thrift shop aesthetics and... Making making do with with thing with uh, with things to maybe decorate your house or wear on your body or use, like for instance, I mean, look at this. Like I have two useless fire extinguishers as my book ends, and I need bookends, and those happen to be really heavy and work fine. And there's there's a specific fashion statement to be made, and it's it's becoming more popular. I think repurposing things as tools in your house that wouldn't otherwise be used as that, or, or simply using things left over from your childhood that, that a lot of people might have just thrown out by now, and keeping them around. And I don't know what, like, 
Perhaps it works into a socially conscious or, or the idea of a socially conscious individual. But it is like to have rustic things, to have old things or vintage things, or to be reusing things for um, things other than their original purpose is is an accepted fashion and is a, is a, is a, is a hip way of decorating the home now. And I don't know if that is, if that links links at all to environmental concerns, or if it's just a way of being clever without having to spend money, or or just a way of trying to be stylish without having to spend money. But I mean, look at these like we got these we got these glasses for twenty dollars at the distillery district, mm-hmm. and it's just a beer bottle that where the neck has been widened so the whole thing is one tall glass. And now I suppose it's a. It's like a, it's like a, it's a, it's a fashionable glass to have, but it's really just a beer bottle with an expanded neck. So not only is it a style choice and a fashionable style choice to be reusing and repurposing, but there's money to be made in the industry of, of doing that too, of, of just recycling stuff that would have been thrown away. So it's a cheap way of manufacture and a way to achieve a desirable aesthetic or at least a, an interesting one. Hmm. And you think that, you think that, that this, that this aesthetic is growing? <clears throat> the, or the demand for such an aesthetic is growing. Well, I don't know, at least people's houses that I go to, there's a lot of stuff that looks like it was pulled out of thrift shops or secondhand stores or or stuff that people have thrown away or collected from their grandmothers. Mm. And I think what's nice about it is that it, it's organic and natural in the sense that you just have these things around and you make do with them and use them for uh, what you're going to do. And it may, maybe you end up with some, with a makeshift look, but it's a look nonetheless. And that way you didn't have to spend any money on anything that you're using in your house. Right. Because there are tons of things that people's families have just in their junk basements that can be that can be taken and then just used instead of having to, to buy new things. So I think there's a way to, 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 to work the repurposing, or it's already sort of naturally happening, the reworking of the, of, of the R's of repurposing into contemporary fashion. Right. Well, I think it's, 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 it's interesting to note that the Center for Social Innovation at Annex almost is entirely, its entire cafe area is filled with found items. And it looks rustic and it looks hip. Yes. And that kind of thing would be accused of being too hip. Mm-hmm. When really it's just practical. Right. It's practical and environmentally sound. Mm. So you think there's a level of a, of, you think there's a judgment laid on people who try to do this as, as trying to be too hip? Maybe, I don't know. There's certainly some people would see that way. Yeah, I mean, some people complain about hipsters of having, like, all this stuff that they just pulled off the street. Like, where'd you get that? I found it on the side of the road. It's like, oh, you're a hipster. But it's just, like, it's, it's economically sound, it's environmentally sound, and it's just practical. As if, like, you should be, you, know, as if you should be spending money, more money or money, any money at all to achieve an interesting or unique style is just absurd. Right. I think people don't like the, the, uh, the overcoming of that, the overcoming of having to have money or resources to, uh, to be fashionable. Hmm. Do you think it comes from an idea that by doing that you are, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to say, but you know, the, the number one criticism of, of hipsterdom is that they think they're better than people. Hmm. And there's a question that, does that stem from the idea of, is that their attitude or does that stem from the fact that, you know, like, oh, I didn't have to buy this. But then again, at the same time, hipsters are also sort of, hipster as a... But it is uh, better to not have had to purchase it. Well, for sure. And I, well, I, I was going to say, hipster is a, is a weird term to use given it has so many meanings. Because mm-hmm. like the most, one of the more common meanings I've heard of, it, you know, uses of it is like, you know, usually being hipster means rich. Mm-hmm. But like dressing like you're not. Mm-hmm. Which is a whole different level of hipster, I think. Or a different meaning of hipster, perhaps. And there's a lot of, and what's interesting is also a lot of stuff you can buy that makes you look like like, you can buy stuff that looks like you found things on the street. Mm. 
that's an aesthetic that's coming. You know, like when this isn't recent, but like the idea of the ripped pants mm-hmm. thing. To look like the working man, but to not be the working man. Yeah. Like you spend two thousand dollars on ripped already ripped jeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but that that's just that's just that's just an exception or like that's um well not an exception, but that's a a capitulation to like it's that's accepting the superior um, or at least the de- desirable style of, of someone who can't afford to have excellent clothing or, or, or does try to live sustainably. It's just like to try to spend more money on a fashion that looks like you didn't spend money on it or to like, is just spent, is just spending more time or more resources to appear as though you didn't. And then why don't you just not? So when you, when you think of, when you employ, when you employ the idea of Jew, of Jew God, or have you pronounced that? <laughs> or, or, in, or, or, or like life hacking in the in, in North America to personal style and and things that we purchase. That would be just a cleverer thing and more more practical and better thing to do in general. Mm. Even if you do have the money to be buying clothes, maybe you'd be slightly less well off if you had to spend money on buying clothes. But instead, you don't, and you just um, either continue wearing the same clothes or repair your own clothes or just accept hand me downs. Then it's not as if you're it's not as if you're being inauthentic and, and representing yourself as something you're not. You're just you're just living your life in a more practical manner. But I think there's I think there's I think there's there's a there's a, there's a group of people who look down upon well there's an attitude of looking down upon people who do that because they think you should be trying to look as good as you you could, you should be trying to look as wealthy as you possibly can. Mm, there's like a... you should you should be displaying whatever social status that you like the highest one you possibly can. Otherwise, you're being somehow inauthentic. Right. It's interesting. It's an interesting tie-in, I think. Uh, I'm not sure how well this works, but the idea of something that you see a lot uh, on Fox News and in the States of when there's sort of like the idea that anyone on food stamps is a moocher. Mm. Three billion dollars is lost to people abusing the food stamp system. That's terrible. Mm. But when a business does it and finds a way to like finds a way to work the system, that's just good business. Mm. It's almost as if businesses are allowed to try to reduce costs as much as possible, but humans are expected to sort of mm-hmm. not. Businesses are deserve that tax, those tax breaks, but he, but individuals shouldn't as as shouldn't be able to uh, take advantage of the government uh, opportunities that are there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or even as, or yeah, like tax breaks are tax loopholes, or like mm-hmm. being you know, or even just flat out just cheating the system in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that I think people are more much more forgiving of cost saving techniques done by a business because they're creating jobs, whereas the individual is just mooching. <laughs> they're not helping anybody by uh, using those food stamps. Yes, I got that's part. I'm sure that's that's part of the argument. But it's 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 interesting. So I'm going to get to the, the idea that the society expects people to spend the mm. much as much money as they can, mm. almost. Whereas society expects corporations to to find every way not to spend money. Mm. So if a company started doing things where they, they were to reduce their mm. the amount of money they had to spend, that would be totally normal, and that wouldn't be seen as weird at all. Whereas when people do it, it's sort of you're right. It, it, you, you sort of it's, it, it seems as if you're inauthentic mm. to some extent. And there are a lot of people who sort of, and it's interesting how, like, you can live on so little. Mm. Like, not everyone, obviously, but, like, if you're a healthy person who's living in, like, a city like Toronto, you can live on a, on a, on a drastically small amount. Mm. Uh, as long as you don't have to have any, you know, dependence. Mm. But then there are people, you know, there's, there are people struggling who make vastly more than that because society tells them to spend, they need to get all these things. Mm-hmm. And they lose all that money. But back on a more, on, on a more related topic. 
the maker community, I find, is very both interesting and uh, something that I think the stronger it can get and the bigger it can get, the better. Mm. Because they are people who really embrace this idea of repairing and repurposing. Because, like, you know, it's... I've, I've said this before time and time again, but the number of times you throw something out because one small thing doesn't work is massive. Mm-hmm. But if you know how to fix it, then you've just, you've, you've saved a, you, how much have you, how much have you saved? That's the maker community? Uh, well, the maker community is, is anything. Maker, the maker community has all, has to do with making anything, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's people who are devoted to learning how to make stuff, taking things apart, well, like building Say, say together. if my $300 laptop, like, I, is there someone I can bring it to who isn't, like, are there, like, are there, like, established, um, places that aren't, like, that aren't just computer repair businesses that do that kind of thing? Or you're just talking about individuals with skills? Um, well, there's, there's, there's places like maker to maker, um, who I think that that one is mostly about sort of make people sort of sharing ideas. Mm. There are like community making, making, uh, taught people, uh, mm. there's makers nation. Cause like, cause like there's, there's bike chain where you go and you pretty much repair your bike, but they help you with it. Mm. But is there, would there be, uh, would that be a similar part of it where say you have something like that, but, but more for electronics and you go there and you repair it and they sort of help you with it so that you can do it in the future yourself. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, if there's any place specifically internal that does that uh, specifically. Mm. But this because I think the maker community much more has to do with the idea of just sort of you know coming together and learning general skills. Mm. Um, specifically, a place where you could bring your computer and be like, "I want to fix this. Help mm. me." Uh, I don't know if it exists or not. I, it should. But general skills like that, yeah, that that kind of thing itself, the idea is sort of is sort of anti anti capitalist in the sense that you don't have to bring what you have broken to some a specialist and pay them to do it. If you have those skills as a consumer, then you don't, then you're not, you don't have, like, you wouldn't really be contributing to the economy by repairing your stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well theoretically, like the way you'd argue for instead is that you would be spending the money you would be spending on, on that, on something else. Mm. You know, like you go see a play or something. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily have to have a negative impact on the economy. It just means you'd be spending your money a different way. Mm. Uh, but that does, there's, there's a whole bunch of interesting conversation about how much can a economy be decoupled from, from consumption. Hmm. But yeah, but, but that's the basic idea. The, the idea that the maker community, uh, but they, they extend all over the place. You know, it extends to woodworking. It extends to sort of all these sort of things where, you know, I don't even know where people get furniture beyond Ikea. Hmm. Like uh, the brick, Leon's, <laughs> like, are these like I don't know how much you'd be spending on these sort of things, but it's there's mm-hmm. there's I guess yeah there's like antique furniture and there are, there are some high end furniture places yeah. as well that people shop at. We just don't know anybody who does. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, what it's interesting about bikes though, because I think bikes really have bike culture has really embraced the idea of becoming of the repair. And and repurpose. I mean, let's repurpose. Mostly repair, mm. but really they they've they've really come to embrace the idea of that to know your bike and to learn about your bike and to know how to fix your bike mm-hmm. and to not have to sort of always bring it in, into a shop. Like shops want to teach you. People people around bikes mm. want to help you do this yourself. Mm. And it's one of the few places where I think that's really common. Mm-hmm. Most often, you sort of you see like people just like, no, I just want to give. I want to get rid of this. I don't want to deal with it. I don't understand it. But where bikes, I think, have really embraced the idea of understanding what you own mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't so often happen. Yeah. It's a lot of work to get into it, though. Oh, yeah. I really want to, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a large percentage of... But, um, I mean, the, back to the aesthetic thing, I think the usage of 
something other than its original or, or or its 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 ostensible uh, purpose is itself inherently environmentally uh, conscious. Just because you using it for something else means that you didn't purchase. I mean, like like you use the antler thing. Let's like say you you buy you buy the antler, you buy a pair of antlers and use it as a coat rack or something to hang your clothes on. You could argue that. All you're doing is is then requiring a different type of decoration besides the besides the antlers. That's not a coat rack that you would have used the antlers for maybe if you weren't using it as a coat rack. Or you could say that you've just simply reduced the number of objects that eventually have to make it to landfill because that's one antler that someone isn't going to use just as a decoration. But then I think re, I think when you repurpose something like that and change its its the context of the object then it itself becomes a decoration and what it's being used for. So it's not it's not just a coat rack either. It's also a decoration. So I think when you're repurposing objects for like a home decor thing, then you need fewer decorations because you have that combined aesthetic of 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 of, of utility and beauty simply by changing the context of an individual object. So I, I mean I just think I just think that that kind of mindset in in, in decoration or Fashion is just inherently, uh, like, ecologically or pro-ecology, mm. even if you don't mean it to be. Right. No, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to think. I've, I've talked about often about sort of how different things come in and out of vogue. And the idea of having something uh, for a long time has lost cachet. Mm. You know, there's nothing that for a long, for arguably thousands of years of human history... If and uh, if you had an item that lasted, you know, that was your grandfather's, mm-hmm. your great grandfather's, your great 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 grandfather's, then that item was better than something new mm-hmm. because it was because it it improved its worth for all this time. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, if you have you know if you have your great grandparents' phone, you probably have a really terrible phone. Or it's a rotary and it's awesome. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's the funny thing is that once is that you can you sort of get these people who sort of go, want to go back to that. Kind that's of sort thing. of why it's hipster though because it's against. Like it's 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 sort of like you can use hipster in a derogatory term of being simply against the status quo just for the sake of being different or difference for the sake of difference, right? Mm. But instead, you could just say that you're trying to reverse the trend of I don't know if you could say it was during the the fifties or post war era when new had to be sold as always better in order to just churn the move the economy forward mm. or, or just just buy 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 buy. And what is it that uh, that video after nine that video they say? After nine eleven, when Bush told everyone to shop, right? Don't panic, just shop. <laughs> it's that continued like it's strange because it's sold double over as doing your part for the country and for the the country's economy, buying Canadian or buying American or buying whatever's in your country, but also fulfilling your life purpose through these purchases of things and defining yourself through them. But I think the sort of repurposing of of old objects or using old objects or or different things for their for not necessarily their original purpose and therefore reusing them and stopping them from going to the landfill earlier is considered just sort of like like a just like a, a hipster fashion choice just because it does require a, a sense of the aesthetic and like with hipsters it's all about the aesthetic right like if there was no hipster aesthetic there would be no hipster it's just like right. it's it's the idea of paying too much attention to the aesthetic so to use objects in that way it's already it's a type of attention to your own personal aesthetics and your home aesthetics that may strike some people as just overly aesthetically conscious and therefore dismissible or just sort of wrong. Hmm. So it's like a trying too hard. Yeah, it's almost as if any any attempt against the norm or any attempt against 
Um, which is why I think, I think the use of the term hipster, um, as a derogatory thing is just a way of attacking people for not being the status quo. Right. Cause yeah. it's, it's, it's used, it's used so much and so widely to not, to, on such a diverse, like different like groups of people mm. that it's just, it's just a way of, of, of telling people that you're not, you're not like the way I, I think you should be. Right. Like, well, it's also really relative, which I think is funny. If you are someone from a hipster from a small town might be nothing compared mm-hmm. to what you'd see in a big city. Yeah. Or, or, or vice versa, depending on how we do it. Then hipster in a small town, it's like, you get called that for wearing plaid once or wearing like a toque that flops off the side of yeah. your head. It's like, Unless, of course, you only have to be very slightly different from everyone else there to be called that. So. Right. Unless, of course, you know, you live in a lumberjack tan, which cases you're not wearing plaid. Yeah, exactly. Gives her. Exactly. It's just a way of attacking someone who, who doesn't look like, the general population. Yes. Yeah. It's very much just a, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a you look different kind of response. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, I guess, partially what the problem, the, part of the difficulty of of pushing environmentalism generally is, is that it is firmly against quite possibly the main mantra of society, mm. which is buy things, mm. and environmentalism is inherently saying don't. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's the hardest part of pushing it is that it's it's telling you to stand out, telling you to do the exact opposite yeah. of what everything they're telling you is doing. Because people think that people are literally going to die and starve if whole swaths of people stop buying. Right. Like the idea that whole whole economies are just built on this this abstract interna- international um, trading system, where if people stop buying, then people are actually going to lose their jobs and just go hungry or, or go broke and mm-hmm. go to feed their family. As if that relies on the individual purchasing more, when really it could rely on just the repurposing of the exorbitant wealth that already exists in the in the upper classes. Like you don't like it's as if you 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 need people to to keep doing the same things that prop up your huge enormous wealth while convincing them that that's what's saving them. Just because you want to be able to hold on to the status quo of there being a huge of there being massive massive wealth at the, at the top. Mm. Well, I think that that's that plays interesting to a to a article re- written, uh, which I find very funny uh, because it, every single headline anywhere about it was NASA funded article. It never says how much funding it really got, but the fact that NASA has its uh, has its name even close to it means that of course they're going to p- pitch it as that because it's like look at all the credibility you get because mm. NASA's like you know probably one of the most cred- seen as one of the more credible sources. So like even though this wasn't a NASA study, it was NASA funded study, and who mm. knows how much it was they funded. Mm-hmm. But it funded a mathematician, I think it was a mathematician, to just go back and sort of see, to see what caused other civilizations to collapse. Mm-hmm. And then led them to basically write the thing basically being like, civilization could collapse in the next 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, which strikes me as a little... Uh, did they say why? Uh, because of increasing, basically because of resource pressures and increasing inequality amongst the mm-hmm. rich and poor. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about it was was that sort of idea that our economy as it is going now is leading to a collapse. Mm. But it's also sort of a level of hysteria and a level of sort of, we can't, it almost, it's, it's, it's fatalistic to some extent. It sounds, it's, it's really fatalistic. Mm. And that sort of, you know, we're going to lose it all if we don't, if nothing half changes. Uh, which is like, you know, as, as some of us, there's definitely some serious, serious issues. And a lot of ma- ma- major problems. But I mean, that's probably true. If you don't check the hollowing out of the base, and the top is just balancing on nothing, and it's, the whole thing is 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 top heavy monetarily, right? If the money oh, just sure. keeps going upwards, then 
Oh, for sure. The, I think honestly, what's interesting is I think the big thing is that there has to be a, you need you need a you need you need the middle class to be strong enough to to be existent. What you can't have is sort of, you know, 15 people making billions and billions of dollars and everyone else starving. Because mm-hmm. that's where the resource scarcity comes into. And I think that's what you, I think that's what's really keeping us, you know, going right now is the fact that resource scarcity hasn't really hit most people in the mm-hmm. developed world, obviously. Uh, and so, like, being poor doesn't mean you're, isn't life or death yet. You know, you can, you can, you can live off $20,000 a year mm-hmm. if you're alone, obviously. And and not and at least not be dead. Whereas mm-hmm. if like you will see larger, more and more civil unrest, the more and more people who actually have dire need uh, will lead to that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's sort of what you really need is 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 that is that sort of switch to to sort of be like the resource scarcity can be solved in a lot of ways, and a lot of ways those ways involve things like repairing and repurposing. Mm-hmm. Like these are the these are the, those are the keys to avoid to dealing with resource scarcity. And what's interesting is by doing things like that, you stop fun, you, you take money away from the people who mm-hmm. are the richest people right now. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are making all the money from you buying, you know, a, say, like, in the efforts of the tool library, if you all, all, the people who make all the money from you buying tools, every single person has to buy a tool, are some of the richest people in America or the United States mm-hmm. of the world. You know, I don't actually know if tool specifically is is, is some retail. sort of tycoon, but the retail exactly. Like you know, like Walmart has the richest people, also the richest people in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you just sort of could, you know, didn't have to buy everything from Walmart because you couldn't afford mm-hmm. good repair stuff and buy other better stuff, or like you know, spend your money other places, that actually helps repurpose where the money mm-hmm. goes. Through community, you build wealth up. You build wealth up at the bottom. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you and it's and that's something that's, that's that's something you've seen everywhere for the for a very long time. The community has always sort of existed in 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 that sort of helping each other out kind of kind of way. You know, especially with early immigrant populations mm-hmm. to new places, almost always sort of have that sort of level of community and that sort of you know building up helping each other out because of the you know difficult they all they face the same sort of diff, set of difficulties and some of them know, have the knowledge of how to get out of it. Some have you know mm-hmm. help and the level of community exists there in a way that doesn't exist for people who have been uh, there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So that divide in many ways, but yeah. So, so I think there's. So like, I think what's interesting about it is, is that this repairing and reusing in the makers community and sort of the sort of you know doing what you can do with what you have has multiple positive effects. Yeah, hmm. uh, it 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 it's it is an equalizing effect in many ways, especially if you if you take the money you would have spent on bookshelves or anything else you could make. Mm-hmm. And then spend it instead on community events, or you know maybe you go see a play or a show or creative work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that keeps the money in the community. That keeps money in. With obviously no, not the, the super super rich people aren't making money if you go and watch a, th- a community theater, or mm-hmm. if you go and you support some some local band or something. Because part of the problem now is that some of the other culture events you are supporting the rich people of the world. Like mm-hmm. you can't go see a sports game in Toronto now without supporting Rogers. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually impossible unless you want to go see you know kids down the street. They but, own all of the teams. But Rogers and Bell joint own the Maple Leafs, and I think joint own the Raptors, and then Rogers entirely owns the Blue Jays, and I'm not sure who owns Toronto FC. Although I think wow. it, they, I think they might also be part of the same ownership group of MLSE, which would be Bell and Rogers combined again. But yeah, like, like you know, they they own everything. But there's yeah, there's there's just so much of that everywhere that it's. But there is that kind of you know, there's there's these ways to do it to get around that. But of course, there's a huge systematic pushback against it because this is sort of the way it's always been for most people who are growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fact that you you know you go and buy new shoes every year uh, because they fall apart. Like that's how long shoes last in mm-hmm. in our society. 
the idea of owning shoes for longer than a year is sort of is is doesn't exist. At least not like you know everyday your everyday shoes. You're, I'm sure people I've owned you know dress shoes for many many years, mm. but everyday shoes you know they last a year and I can't get them fixed anymore because no one fixes stupid shoes like that because they're not they're not expensive enough to fix. Mm. Which is kind of also interesting. The fact that once you get to high enough class things, the repair community comes back and is mm. actually exists because they're you, you spent so much money up front to buy them, you want to keep them up and keep them going. Mm. Whereas so poor people and poor and, and or lower class things are stuck in this loop of just buy, throw out, buy, throw out, buy, throw out. Mm. Yeah. To have a lower income is to be locked into the purchasing the uh, the planned obsolescence pieces. Hmm. Is, to be, is to be locked in further to the the consumption disposal cycle, but not necessarily. If you if you're if you're just sort of keeping things around, what do you mean? Like that's why that's why using like like embracing a type of style like the the the, the rap rave duo uh, D Antwoord from South Africa they 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 promote the style Zef, mm-hmm. which essentially means you're poor but you can still look good because you have style. And in that sense, it, because they're not buying new nice clothes, they're just using old or shitty clothes or undesirable uh, clothes in different ways that are stylish. Mm-hmm. So even as even as a low income person, you can, you can you can still escape that cycle by not buying into the perceived necessity of purchasing of having shiny things. Right. You know, you can have like moldy things, but they can still they can still be nice. Well, obviously, mold might kill you. Well, metaphorically moldy. <laughs> I see. No, I think that's. I think that's 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 fair. What's interesting about that, of course, is the fact that what you're allowed to do as as someone who is rich is you can go and buy exactly things that are stylish without having to work work at it. Whereas, sort of, mm-hmm. to do something like that requires a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. And so, it's people who sort of you know, are, you know, if you have two kids and three jobs, you're not going to have time to then also sort of invest in having good style. Well, I mean, not necessarily, like, you don't necessarily have to invest a lot of time into it. Like, people still think about their outfits and stuff. Like, I don't think it really necessarily takes a lot of time. Mm. You'd have to be aesthetically conscious, and therefore, in some sense, hip. <laughs> Are we winding down on time here? Uh, we got another maybe five, seven minutes. Mm. So, to carry forward, to go sort of back to this idea of, of, of Jew-God, since we mentioned it and didn't really get into it too much, and I think we probably should touch on it a little more. That's because I have no idea what it is. That's fair. All right. Well, here let me let me sort of give you a little more a little more information on it. Apparently, it also comes from vehicles a lot. Sort of the idea that creating makeshift vehicles or creating you know making an engine work even when it might not be, shouldn't or anything like that. I think it also goes back to that sort of like kind of rural, almost farm aesthetic, mm. a little bit. Of you know like all right, we, you know how everything you own works. I think that's something that I think is really interesting. Mm. Uh, which is just definitely does not exist in our culture anymore at all. And there's that song about specialists or experts that exists. It's really a weird song. You mean that Laurie Anderson song? Yeah, the Laurie Anderson song, yeah. yeah. Um, there's only an expert can deal with the problem. Yes, exactly. Hmm. I'll add that to the bottom of this of this podcast. But but yeah, like, like that song, that song so inter- I find interesting about that is, and, and there's, I read another thing, um, there's a, there's a talk, which I'll also post about this. That's but. a lot about like intellectual expertise though, like the, like the ruling class of scientists and, and, um, and experts who get to make the, the decisions. Yeah, for sure. But, and, and, and the other one is, um, was in a TED talk I, I've, that I've seen multiple times now about window gardening. 
and about how this woman was 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 a window started doing window garden, but basically she was like content to so she lived in a downtown you know New York apartment and was like I want to be a gardener but like I can't obviously because I'm in downtown New York and I have all, I have no I have no light or very little light I don't know what I can do. Uh, and was content to sort of just relax and let the experts sort of solve some of these crises mm-hmm. uh, until she realized, because like, well, the experts were the ones who got us here. Like the idea of letting specialists do this mm-hmm. is is actually one of the more dangerous things you can do mm-hmm. because it gets you places like where you see things like Monsanto, which uh, which has massive, massive copyright claims on all of these parts of it, mm-hmm. and and hydroponics, which is what she ends up using to build her her window farms, was also being very, very much, very quickly patented, which is dangerous. Someone and, owns the knowledge of actually, of how to build something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or knows all about, knows all about building, knows, like, or, even, you know, some of the other parts are even more ridiculous. With GMOs, mm-hmm. it's more ridiculous. But you can check back to our podcast at Maya From, with Maya Fromskin a couple weeks ago to, uh, to get more on that one. May I say yeah. something? Yeah. Because that feeds into an interesting, I was listening to a talk, I don't know if I mentioned this on an earlier podcast or just to somebody else, but... A talk uh, by Jacques Rancière um, at Victoria College, where he was talking about, or it was actually in a comment someone made about his talk afterwards. But the autodidact as the revolutionary figure in society, she who teaches herself is 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 the is the revolutionary figure, someone mm-hmm. who doesn't require um, a hierarchy of knowledge to mm-hmm. to obtain knowledge of how to do something. So I mean, if you were able to teach yourself to build a hydroponic, then you would use you would you would uh, usurp the um, the role of the, of the patent holder. Right. Obviously, the average person can't just learn how to genetically engineer their own seeds. Right. But, I mean, it relates to what we've been talking about, the, 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 the use of, 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 of teaching yourself, mm-hmm. um, and therefore and not requiring the hierarchical system. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about that is, is the information age uh, and, and in the Internet has made a lot of that way dramatically more possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that you can, there's, you know, there's so much, there's a YouTube tutorial for almost anything now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you just, people just don't want to do it. There's a lot of effort in that involved. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I, I, I very rarely use YouTube tutorial to get, to get myself to be able to do something. I've uh, just sort of found other ways to do it without, or just not done whatever thing it is. I just, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I haven't taken a lot of this own stuff to heart. But at the same time, you're seeing a lot of time where sort of like, you know, people are sort of stressed or busy from too much having, having worked having to work too long hours or mm-hmm. doing all their other sort of life things. That, well, that we probably need fewer hours as well. Well, yeah, People probably. are overworked. Um, but, but because of that fact, they go home and they sort of, then they just watch TV or they do something else. It's completely relaxing and not work on anything else. Mm-hmm. And then come next day. Uh, and all, and then, and then to, to make money, which then that money they use to sort of then do the things they could have done themselves, but don't, but don't have, but are too tired to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like obviously there's, there's some money that is required for life. That's just a thing. Like, you, you can't live on zero dollars. Or at least I couldn't live on zero dollars. And without land, you, you can't literally live that on zero dollars. What's interesting about, it, about, that, about that whole dynamic is it exists everywhere. Hmm. You know, people don't have enough time to make food anymore. So they have to go buy food, which is then generally yeah. more processed and worse. And there's, I mean, then be, like, not having the time is a, is a symptom of the, of the, I think, problematic and false narrative of we need to just be working as hard as possible and doing whatever we can to continue the economic growth when really the economic growth and at least in the system we have is just only for the ultra rich who are already there to give each other bonuses and to increase their own salaries mm. like they're not create even if like we give more money to a company they're not necessarily going to create more jobs or have their or have or have their empl- or work their employees less hard right like they they get to 
like it being an oligarchically run system of like a company, they can do they they their only mandate is to increase profits for their shareholders and themselves. So in, like economic growth doesn't necessarily lead to more jobs and more distributed wealth. Hmm. It's interesting about th- what's interesting about that is that is there's a um, economic growth is very very highly correlated with increased happiness in developing countries mm-hmm. and then in developed nations it's sort of it's it gets less obvious mm-hmm. uh and then and then it's interesting because we we don't necessarily need to grow in that same way uh we exactly yeah well i think once you hit a certain point it becomes probably more important much more important to have uh more equal society uh mm-hmm. in terms of of wages than mm-hmm. it does a richer society in terms mm-hmm. of wages uh and there's you sort of, you don't really see the sliver of of like you know ha- happiness or you know whatever you want to, whatever metrics they use for happiness and well well being and GDP are very very correlated but there's a sliver of it that isn't mm-hmm. and that sliver is something that, that I think you could actually uh, look into in a more interesting way mm-hmm. and, and it, once you get sort of further off, off very early on you just you know the more the higher GDP is the better basically mm-hmm. uh, those lives are. But there's you know there's a reason why you, you know Western European countries uh, are most are so have almost all the most livable cities in the world, mm. and are almost always the happiest you know and because of the equality of income exactly or at least the 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 more de- the devotion to equality of income more mm. so at least and then you sort of see that varying in other places. Mm. We're running uh, slow on time now, but if you want you want to throw out some last thoughts and then I'll throw some last thoughts and then we'll uh, we'll call it. Imagine if the Imagine if a Walmart greeter made the same amount as the Walmart CEO. I guess the CEO would make a lot. Would, wouldn't be able to make a lot of money. Or the Walmart greeter making a lot. But then, of course, everyone would want to be the greeter instead of having to worry about. But it, but, the, but the CEO would still be a more prestigious and status-giving job, right? Mm. So you have the question between whether or not it's the status that people seek or the or the or the or the actual money, right? So. The idea that if we had a minimum, a minimal, a minimum income for anybody, even if they're not working, that they wouldn't work, they would still be sort of, it would still be a socially frowned upon thing to not work, even if you didn't have to, mm. right? Like you'd still be considered like a bum, right? So what people seek for in the, in the in the job market is more of a status thing than an actual material uh, acquisition thing, but because the material acquisitions are only there to give you status or to feel like you have status. Yeah, but um, I think at the same time, though, you, you see a part of the problem we're facing is that some of the things that should be very high status are being devalued. Like what? Well, things like, you know, farming, mm. you know, being a farmer or social work, things that, you know, teachers. These are all jobs that should, you know, that are that are fundamentally important to society, mm. but are all sort of seen as like maybe not. You know, maybe not not prestigious jobs, but certainly not prestigious jobs. Mm. Whereas things and maybe and maybe if they were higher valued, people there would be better teachers. Maybe because because you would you would feel more motivated to do a better job because more people were watching you, kind of thing. It's an interesting question of whether or not just relying on the need for status could really drive people to make the right decisions or their good decisions. Mm-hmm. Because of our sort of already proven inability to put where status status mm-hmm. deserves to be if you on pra- our If you praise the good farmers and the good teachers more, then more people would do a better job looking for that same outcome. But the same way, how do you make that happen in in any real way? By paying them more. Because of a CEO, is like like people get more like you get more and more money for doing a better and better job, right? With teachers, 
I don't think it works that way. Uh, yeah, well, part of the problem with that is how do you then test how, how, well, how well a teacher's job is, which is hugely contentious, and for many reasons. But that's, that's an interesting problem, right? How do you, how do you show value in society? Well, the only way you measure, like, like business managers and CEOs things is, is productivity, just profit increasing. Yes, exactly. But you can't do so, that. So, well, you test you test the students that the teachers are teaching. Yes, but the te- but no one, but most in educators don't think testing is actually a good method. Like tests themselves have been, pro- have been proven to be sort of terrible ways of actually understanding intelligence or capability. Even you know, some people are just good at tests, and that's the thing about those people. Some people aren't good at tests. Uh, you know, there's there 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 are master's courses or PhD level courses on uh, on teaching where the person's like, I'm not giving you a test because I don't think that will actually tell you if you what you know what you're talking about or not. Mm. So I think so that's uh, the, I think that the, the under, uh, underlying question there we sort of you know went off a little bit from the big topic that's what always happens, and the one I think I will leave unless you have less thoughts. No. Or the, the one thought I want to leave is is how does society show or how do we as a society start understanding the best way to show value of work that's being done. Because paying people obviously has a weird skewing effect, which leads to weird jobs being seen as high value because of the way the money monetary system works. So, like, how can we better sort of actually give value to something that is really, that deserves it? Or to prove, to give prestige to it, perhaps, as well. So, uh, if you have any thoughts, comment. Uh, again, our comment system's still broken, so send us a contact us message, and hopefully get the contact system fixed. Send us soon. a what message? Oh, contact. Send, uh, contact us. Yeah, it's contact, all on the text. Contact us. Contact us. And uh, to play us out, it is the Cool Hands yet again with the rest of their the full version of their song. I did the Iggy. I did the Iggy. Play us out. I did the Iggy. Yeah. I did the Iggy. Yeah. The ziggit, the forget, the triple dog tail with your grandpa's mick hat. Yeah.